praying and receiving actually so father we we bless you for jimmy thank you for what you've spoken to him already lord open up scripture to us lord speak to our hearts and would you change us by your spirit in jesus name amen good morning all how are we doing all right all right that's good that's good how to handle conflict it's one of those things um when Cy prepares a rotor, you get titles and you get a corresponding passage. And just on the sort of titles, just kind of wondering what sort of thing does Cy uh, want? Does he want to know how to handle uh, conflict in the marriage context? Um, I would say get, um, get some headgear just to protect you from Karen. Um, <laughs> it's a joke, sorry. Or uh, has he just heard that I've got a punch bag and does he want me to do something on self defense? Um, probably not. As I re- you'll be relieved to know, as I read the parish, uh, parish as i read the passage it became a bit more clearer and uh yeah some challenging stuff yet again in this series on the jesus lifestyle the kind of radical lifestyle that jesus is calling us to as christians and uh you know it strikes me that all of us here we will encounter conflict at some time or another in life or perhaps you're here and you're going through some kind of conflict as well maybe there's people you just don't get on with, personality clashes, people who just rub you up the wrong way. Maybe there are people who you feel as though they're, they're proactively trying to hold you back in life or hold you back in work. Uh, maybe for some it, it, it's a bit more extreme. Perhaps, um, perhaps there's bullying going on within the workplace or within the school environment. Actually feeling as though you're being unfairly treated really and you're powerless really to do anything about that, maybe you've been on the receiving end of threatening behaviour from a neighbour, maybe you just got involved in a conflict at some point. Do you know, all of us will encounter conflict to some degree if we're not in some at the moment. We'll all encounter people who, who actually it's quite difficult for us to get along with and like. And as Christians, we're not exempt from this, are we? Do you know, as Christians, we can expect trial in life, many Christians around the world endure extreme persecution, often physical violence and death, places such as Pakistan, Nigeria. You know, it can be really tough for Christians. And even here in the UK, Christians are encountering more persecution than they have for a long time. There's a lot of people who just want to get Christianity out of the public square. There's been a lot of um, high-profile court cases, haven't there, um, of Christians who've uh, wanted to, to, to live, either to demonstrate their faith in the workplace and haven't been allowed to by their employers, or Christians who have, um, have made a stand on moral issues, on morality, and uh, that has just come up against um, a worldview that that doesn't believe in those morals and that those Christians have been forced to close their businesses or been forced out of jobs as a result. And it also seems to me as well that Christianity, it's, it's fair game to mock Christianity in a way which other religions aren't mocked at present within the UK. Even the head of the BBC said, in words, he said words to these effect that it's fair game to, to mock Christians. So... Uh, And the temptation for any of us, if we're going through some kind of conflict, some kind of fallout with someone, if we're not getting on, or even some kind of persecution, 
is to want to get back or get even or treat people as though we've been treated. Often conflict results in a tit-for-tat mentality, doesn't it? You know, it's just a natural human response. We want to get even. We want to be justified. You know, we want that person to feel as though we've felt. But as Christians, we are called to conduct ourselves in a way that is, that is radically different to the way people in this world conduct themselves. We are to be a real contrast, in fact. You know, Christianity itself is radical. The Sermon on the Mount, which we're looking at, it's radical. Jesus calls us to a lifestyle where the bar is high, undoubtedly, whether that's sexual ethics, personal integrity, how we handle our own anger, you know, how we treat people. Do we go the extra mile or not? And also, how do we respond to those who mistreat us? How do we respond to those we dislike? We're called to love them. It's challenging stuff. And it goes against the grain of often what we're presented with in the world and in the media. Do you know, God's kingdom does not work the same way this world works. God's kingdom, it's often said to be an upside-down kingdom. The world works one way. The kingdom of God works a different way. It's actually that the world's upside down and not God's kingdom, funnily enough. But uh, to God, you know, how we, how we conduct ourselves, it matters. And not just our exterior, not just how we are on the outside, our actions, but actually our interior as well. What's the state of our heart like? How do we feel towards people who we don't get on with? Do we love them? Do, or, or do we hate them? Do we hold on to bitterness and anger? And it's... it's it's a, high, it's a high core. And the reason it's such a high standard is that God says, doesn't he, that we are to, uh, to reflect him. There's this verse in here about, you know, if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute them, you know, you will be fathers of your... Father, you will be sons of your father who's in heaven. You'll be daughters as well. And there's something about... Living, loving like God loved that reflects him to this world that's why there's a high call on our lives God wants our lives to point towards him and actually by loving those who we find it difficult to get on with by treating them differently rather than they treat us perhaps that reflects something of the love of God now God's grace is radical God's love is radical it flies in the face of so much of what the world says, doesn't it, in terms of how we should love people, only be nice to those who are nice to you, treat those the same way in which people you know, treat you. God's love, his grace, flies in the face of that. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, freely you have been given, freely give away. In other words, all we receive from God, you've got to pass that on. If you've been forgiven by God, be forgiven. If you've encountered the love of God, Love people, even when they mistreat you. Reflect the nature of God. As children of God, we're to do that. And, you know, for some of us, that might be quite difficult to respond, actually. You know, I I believe, actually, as we, for ourselves, encounter the love of God, the forgiveness of God, actually, it becomes easier to love those who mistreat us. It becomes easier to forgive those. And it starts often with an encounter with God, an encounter with his love. And as a church, that's why we're so, uh, so passionate about giving time over to worship God, to encounter him in that place of worship. Often as we worship, we encounter God's love, his presence, and it changes us. That's why we're, 
we're hot on preaching about the love of God, about relationship with God. That's why we're hot on ministry time. Often, you know, God will, will do deep stuff in people's lives as they make themselves open to the Holy Spirit. He'll bring healing to hurts. That's why we offer things like prayer surgery, where, where there's deep-rooted pain in people's lives that prevents them from loving, that prevents them from forgiving. With the help of the Holy Spirit, that can be dealt with, that can be healed, people can be set free. So as a church, we're committed to people encountering the love of God, the life-transforming power of God, because it makes a difference. <clears throat> you know, in our passage, we saw, the, uh, we saw this verse. Uh, Jesus says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And uh, that was a saying that's not from the Old Testament, the bit about love your neighbor comes from the Old Testament. The bit about hate your enemy was something that was added to it by the time. And the Jewish people at the time, some of the Jews had a very narrow view of what, it, what a neighbor meant. Okay? And uh, for them, their neighbor were their own. Were their own people group. And uh, the enemy was anyone who really... Anyone outside at that point, actually, particularly the Roman soldiers, actually, were, were, were disliked and other uh, Gentiles at the time. And, you know, sometimes we can, we can limit our definition of neighbor, can't we? To those we like, to those we get along with, to those who are the same as us. But actually, I think we need a, a broader definition. And I think we need to be careful as well about using words such as hate. So for Jesus, he had to point out that actually that's not part of God's word. That's not part of God's command. The deal is, love your neighbor, and your neighbor is wider than just the people you like, just your own countrymen. And actually in the Old Testament, there was a lot about uh, being gracious and loving to those who are from outside, those from different nations, those who are seeking refuge. Our fellow human is our neighbor. So we're to love our neighbors and in doing, we're actually to love everyone. And Jesus as well, he also picks up on just how easy it is for us uh, to love those who we love. It comes naturally, doesn't it? We, it's easy to love those we like. It's easy to uh, love those who are kind to us, to be like for like. And it's easy, actually, to dislike and have very little time for people who annoy us, who offend us, and it's easy to gossip about them. It just seems to come natural. And Jesus sort of points out with this love, there's nothing radical about it. You know, anyone can love people who love them. That's what the pagans do. That's what the despised tax collectors did. You know, there's a mentality in the world, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Whereas actually the love of God flies in the face of that. You know, we're called to love those who we wouldn't normally get on with. We're called to love those who we find it difficult to get on with. Do you know, I imagine actually when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, that that was a real shock back in the day for, uh, for Jesus' Jewish listeners who were oppressed by the Romans. You know, when they would have heard of that phrase, enemies, I'm sure the Roman soldiers who occupied their land who unfairly treated them, put heavy burdens upon them, taxed them you know, really highly, made them carry their gear about, had little regard for them. I bet that when Jesus said to them, love your enemies, that was something pretty radical. Because they would even justify their hatred 
on religious grounds. And you can understand that, can't you? But Jesus' command to us is to go into the opposite spirit to which we're sometimes treated. So when we're treated with hatred, or when we're mocked, we're to respond in love. We're to respond in that opposite spirit. What does love look like? What does it look like to love our enemies? You know, there's a really helpful verse in Luke where Jesus says, Love your enemies. This is a parallel verse to what we read. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, how do we, resp- how do we respond? Do you know, we, we respond, we love people by blessing them with our words. In other words, we speak well of them. In other words, we don't take the opportunities to put them down, even if they put us down. In other words, we point out the things that are good about them. There's a proverb that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Do you know, by not returning hatred, but actually being gracious in our speech, we can turn an enemy into a potential friend. Another thing that we can do is to love people by our actions. Do you know, I believe what forgiveness looks like in action is kindness towards people. Do you know that as we, as we go out our way to try and be nice to those who rub us up the wrong way, who are rude to us, who dislike us, that does something. That does something to them. And actually it does something in us as well. Another way is by praying as well, taking them to God. Bonhoeffer, a very famous theologian who's been quoted here quite a few times recently, said this about prayer. He said, Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemies, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. For if we pray for them, we are taking their distress and their poverty, their guilt, their perdition upon ourselves, and pleading to God for them. That's a powerful thing to do. That's a powerful thing to do. By prayer, we are going alongside someone. We are supporting them. We are being an advocate before God for them. Rather than wishing them harm, actually, we're, we're, we're wanting God to come alongside them. We're wanting God to help them in what they're doing. We're wanting God to be a support for them. And there's something about when we pray for people, that I think our true feelings about them come up, actually. It's in that place when we go into God's presence. Often I can become aware of where I've held on to bitterness, and I know I need to get that right. And actually, in the process of forgiving, praying for people is really powerful. Rather than praying prayers of, God, get even, you know, help me get even, or, you know, God, strike them down. Rather, rather by praying those prayers of, God, I'm a sinner, I've mucked up, you've had grace on me, you've forgiven me, and I just bring this person before you, and I just pray that you would supply their needs, I pray that you would help them, I pray that they would know you as their God, as their saviour, and there's something that, that does something in our hearts as well, that aids that, forgive, that process of forgiveness. Do you know, it's easy not to love, and we have, sometimes have to work at love, but why should we love? What are the consequences of not loving our enemies. Do you know, I think practically, you know, if we don't love, it perpetuates hatred. But if we choose to love, that cycle of hatred is broken. And let's be honest, guys. How, how, isn't there enough hatred in the world? 
isn't there enough conflicts? Aren't there enough families that just need to get it sorted and reconciled? You know, sometimes by taking the initiative to love, to speak well of, to pray for, to be kind to, we're able to break those destructive cycles and bring healing, aren't we? Another thing about hate as well is that it's not good for us. Bitterness is not good for us. As human beings, we're not really designed with the capacity to hold on to hatred, to grudges, to unforgiveness, because it screws us up. It makes us bitter and twisted. It affects us. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with others. In the end, holding on to hatred would do ourselves more harm than it would probably to those who we're disliking or feel bitterness towards as well. Another incentive to love is that love can transform an enemy into a potential friend as well. As you act into the opposite spirit, I think it shames people, one, if you love them and they've treated you badly, but it can turn them into someone who, who sees in you there's something genuine, there's something loving. Do you know, I remember Gordon Hickson, who was um, kind of revivalist preacher type, really hot on prayer, and was moving to the UK. Um, and he shared this in a leadership seminar. And he was setting something up, I believe it was in Watford, on prayer. And there was one person in particular who opposed him, and it was an Anglican vicar, funnily enough. And um, he just seemed to speak badly about Gordon at the time and what he was doing. But Gordon made the conscious decision that actually he wasn't going to hate this person, that if anything... He was going to act in the opposite spirit. And what was coming from this person, there was a spiritual root behind it, so he shouldn't therefore hate the person. And he made the effort to to meet up with this person, to eat with them, to pray with them. And what he found is over time, this person became his biggest supporter. And I think on the day that he finished there, apparently they kneeled down and they prayed together. Love can turn our enemies into friends. It's powerful stuff. Now, Jesus finishes, doesn't he, this section with this verse. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I don't believe what Jesus is talking about here is necessarily that we need to be morally perfect because actually we're all, we're all a long way off, really, aren't we? You know, we all still make mistakes. The word used here for perfect is the Greek word teleos. And it has this kind of sense of being mature, being grown up, and being adult-like. And God calls us to be mature in love like he is mature in love. He calls us to reflect him. Now, in our children, we look, don't we, for, for characteristics of ourselves or in other people's children you know, often people say to me that our daughter Joanna has catches eyes or something like that. Fortunately, no one said she has my physique because that would be uh, not very good for her. Um, but we do, don't we? We look for physical traits, characteristics. You've got your, you know, you've got your grandmum's eyes or, or you, you know, you've got your father's personality, um, your strong world like your mother, something like that. We look, don't we, for those characteristics in children of their parents. And uh, similarly... The world, I believe, should see in us as Christians the characteristics of our heavenly Father. We should reflect him to this world. We should reflect him in love. 
you know, as I said earlier, we are recipients of God's love. In one sense, before we knew Jesus, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we, in sense, lived for ourselves and lived as enemies for God. But God so loved us, so wanted relationship with us that he pursued us. He revealed himself to us. He forgives us freely for anything we've done. He lavishes his love upon us. You know, we don't even know the extent to which we're loved. And what God wants us to do is, as his children, he wants us to reflect that love in the world. He wants us to be mature, grown up in love as he is. And it's a process. We don't get there overnight. Okay? But we need to work at it. But as we grow in relationship with God, as forgiveness becomes a habit, as kindness becomes a habit, we start to reflect God. Maybe for some of you here, there's some really deep-rooted pain. Maybe you've been really hurt by someone, and it's at the moment you just can't forgive them. Let me just encourage you just to press into God, to receive prayer, and to receive more of his love and his forgiveness. Do you know, we won't, we won't become mature overnight. It will be a process. But let's be committed as the people of God to being perfect as God is perfect, to being loving as he is, to reflecting him to the world. He's loved us in that way, and likewise, we should, as children of him, resemble him. We're going to pray. We're going to go into a time of prayer ministry. I'm just going to ask us to stand up.